Welcome to Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of Valerie, her guests, and callers. Now here's your host, Valerie Kirkgaard. This is for you, this is for you and me, and who we see when we see each other. This is for all, this is for all the time you tried to find your sister or your brother. And you're not crazy anymore, you've been waiting at the door. And it's time to open. Yes, 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 it is so time to open. Good morning, you American state nationals, you. You are listening to Waking Up in America, dynamic radio dialogues brought to you by Key Media, happily200.hghbreakthrough.com, and this is the product that actually starts your age to reverse. It's incredible. I walked in some place, and I hadn't been in a year, and they looked at me and said, what have you done? And I said, I've taken Thrive HGH for a year. Really, go to happily 200 and that's the number 200.hghbreakthrough.com. Also, brag.com, and that's brag with two Gs. This is the mother of, of health and medicine, health medicine and health food stores and uh, a dynamic woman, uh, an incredible human being. Her father opened the first health food store. Check out Patricia Bragg, B-R-A-G-G, and see what she's got waiting for you. You've seen a lot of her products. You just may or may not know that. TheConingCompany.com actually cleans the eustachian tubes, and uh, amazing things happen when you do that. It, it filters out a lot of the residue of the garbage that we've been allowed to consume through air and food. Uh, Sir Jason Winter Tea brings, strengthens the immune system. Uh, DrValerie.com and doctors all spelled out allows you to clear uh, emotional trauma from the past, both your own and historically, like in your family. It's amazing uh, what we can do these days that we couldn't do 50 years ago. Uh, the body can. Randy can talk to you more about that. She's really up to some cool stuff with that. With that. Check out the body can. And Jason on hair. <coughs> Jason has um, revived uh, a process from the 1980s that actually grows hair back again. So uh, you can reach him at Miracle Stuff with three Fs at gmail.com and find, tell, say, tell me about that hair, Jason. I want more. Our global audience is now over 600,000, and we're out to make that grow. Uh, download our shows on Thursdays. Click on Live Shows and Archives at our website, wakingupinamerica.com. You can download any of our past shows and share them. And we invite you to be a legal beagle, which means that you take classes, form groups, and start questioning the laws uh, they may be the legal code, but are they moral, these, these laws? So you can question them. Do they fit? Do they fit? Are they for the people, or are they an uh, intermediary way of um, taking advantage of you? Because we're being taken advantage of a lot. And we get together before the show, actually, and we talk. I, on, uh, when you're on radio, you call it the green room. So we get together in the green room, and we talk about different things that are relevant and current to us today. And our guest, <laughs> you're going to love her, uh, Cindy Villarreal. Did I pronounce that right, Cindy? You did. Oh, my God, thank God. I'm always worried about that. <laughs> and Randy and I have been talking, and um, 
we are actually at the age where we remember where things are different than they are now. Our present culture is submerged in um, all kinds of arguments that have been, oh, I don't even, they've been made up, made up arguments. Um, we're, we're in the middle of a, a war for our hearts and souls. Uh, we're being manipulated uh, by puppets, by the news, fake news. I've never heard about so much fake news in my life. Uh, last night, Randy was talking about stuff that she was going through um, yesterday. Yesterday was a screaming day for me. I don't scream that often, probably maybe once or twice a year. Sometimes I'll go for a couple of years without screaming. But my son had been taken advantage of with a car. Credit bureaus were reporting me incorrectly. A title company was reporting me incorrectly. Uh, all kinds of stuff where you have to go through, pay the money, make changes, tell them that they have to follow the law, do all of this kind of stuff. We're being laid, all kinds of things are being laid on us about who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. And at the same time this is going on, we're being fed GMOs. Uh, we've got physical education being taken out of the school. Music is going along with it. And then I used to get mad at my friend Chris when he would talk about snowflakes and cream puffs. We are training snowflakes and cream puffs. We are not giving people the physicality or the information that they need. Um, Randy, why don't you tell them about what we were talking about in the 1850s, about the education and what was going on? Well, just, I mean, everything, I don't remember that particular conversation, but in in particular back then, everything was obviously way more hands-on and, you know, it, moving forward as we went into, like, my years as a kid, I remember even the guys that I went to school with, the parents, they had the shotguns in the back glass of the car. It was, like, not a big deal, and gun was taught in school, training, yeah. that sort of thing, and we had... We had physical activity, which we don't have right now. Um, you know, I ended up, my youngest son, who's now 18, I ended up pulling him out right around first or second grade because he was in a classroom that had no windows. They took away PE, and the only time he could ever get any outside uh, interaction at all with the sunshine or anything five days a week is if he ate his lunch really, really fast. He was then allowed to go outside, and I said, no way, I can do better than this. He had to raise his hand to go to the bathroom. Twice in a row, the teacher told him no. I'm talking two or three days in a row when he really had to go, and it was after lunch. He told him no. That's a basic human need. I said no way, and I pulled him out, and he never went back. He tried it once in ninth grade, and he realized, oh, my gosh, no, I can't tolerate any of this stuff, which was, you know, kids coming to school with alcohol in their bottles disguised as water. It was vodka, um, you know, guys trying to you know they had races of how many girls they could get um, there was just no respect there was no discipline everything was out of control I bought him a new cell phone they tried to steal it on day one they cornered him for it um, and that went on for about a week or two till I just I said that's it I'm pulling you out again <laughs> I'm not going to deal with this I totally People. get it I, I lived in yeah. Highland Park at the time uh, the local high school or the local school that my son was, was supposed to go to and my daughter, right, we went over there. <clears throat> there was about, excuse me, <clears throat> there was about a 20-foot high fence around the school. It was like being inside of a prison. And there was graffiti all over the place. And I said, I don't think so. And I got on the telephone and I started calling. And I found um, Pacific Oaks. And Pacific Oaks, uh, you're going to love it, Randy and Cindy. I tell you, I pick up, I called the Pacific Oaks and this 12-year-old picks up the phone and goes, Pacific Oaks School. 
And I thought, Bruce, I can't even read the phone. Just I think I'm in love. I said, uh, so uh, how old are you? And he goes, 12. And I said, really? And you're answering the phone? He says, oh, yeah. He says, a different one of us answers the phone every day. That's our job. And I said, really? What kind of textbooks are you using? And they go, oh, well, we don't use textbooks. We get, like, Time magazine and things like that. And uh, we go on field trips to juries and uh, see how different things work. I said, this is my school, right? <laughs> so I went They found Winnie Dorn, who was the head of the school. At that time, it was about four or 500 a month. And I wanted both of my kids in there. <clears throat> so we worked out a deal where I actually taught, since the kids were so advanced, I actually taught them a class in credit and stuff like that and how to use credit cards and all kinds of things. And my kids are head over heels. Um, Jennifer spent three years there. John spent one year there. And then he wanted, they didn't have sports, Cindy, so he wanted to go to the, um, I can't think of the name of the high school now in Pasadena, that had a really good tennis team. And so he went over there for his last year or so to be part of a tennis team. But in those days, we had different things. And these days, if I did what I did with my kids, they'd be taking my kids away from me. What I would do with my kids was when I had to work or they had to go somewhere, and they were like eight or nine years old, uh, for instance, we had really good bus service, and we weren't worried about queers, queer things happening and that kind of stuff if, if, if you were going a short distance. So they rode the bus, and I, they knew how to do that from the time they were like eight. Uh, wow. And what I would do is I, if they were going someplace, <clears throat> I would drive them to the bus, put them on the bus, and then follow them. I'd follow the bus to make sure that they got off and they were secure with everything. And then I talked to the bus driver or whatever. It was totally cool. It was like a community, and we took care of things, right? Mm-hmm. Today, if, they, if a neighbor turned me in for putting my neighbor, kids on the bus or something, I'd probably have social services over pounding at the door. So it's not just who we are as individuals. It's who we are with the society that we're a part of and whether we stand up or not. And one of the things about Cindy that's so cool You've heard her name, but you haven't heard her history. Uh, she's got triplets, and she's she's doing homeschooling and stuff like that. And all we're trying to do, when I referred to, um, Randy back to 1850, I was actually referring to the tests that were given in 1850. Oh. Mm-hmm. Great tests? I mean, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Sixth-grade test, I, as an adult human being, could only answer 10% of the questions. And I laughed, and I said, and we think we're so smart. We Mm -hmm. think we're so advanced from 150 years ago. And you were talking about driving around with with guns in the car and stuff. I actually, one of my classes at Lincoln Junior High School is I actually am the top marksman from my class at Lincoln Junior High School. See what I mean? (laughs) I learned how to shoot a rifle. I took, I knew how to do, I didn't take cabinet-making class, Okay. I did take cooking. I had a cooking class. I make a mean cherry pie and an amazing lemon meringue pie, okay? I am so grateful for my education. I could cry when I look at what's going on now, and I see the huge fences in the schools and stuff like that. And when I started talking to Cindy, I mean, Randy is the gem that found Cindy, okay? And I, I thought, well, this is really interesting. Dallas cheerleading, you know, this kind of stuff. That's got to be one of the most... <laughs> I'm sorry, Cindy. One of the most Thank you. for guys. Okay. 
what you must have gone through from time to time with men turning you into sex objects and your employers wanting you to be that, and how do you maintain dignity? And how do you maintain Cindy and who she is in the midst of all of that? You know, there is a very fine line when, um, you you know, and certainly in the NFL, it it is very glamorous. And, you know, if you like dancing, you come from a dance background or a cheerleading background, which I did, it seemed like a, a cool thing to be part of. However, I had never been in a two-piece swimsuit, so wearing a two-piece uniform was completely new for me, okay? And, and I, um, you know, so that, that in and of itself was brand new, and I could, I, I could be a different person. It was like I was playing a different role. But what was interesting was the way that we were guarded um, on the team back in the, um, in the late 80s when we were being uh, directed by uh, Suzanne Mitchell. And this was back, you know, I was there during this transition of Tech Shram to, you know, the new owner, Jerry Jones. So I, I did experience the differences and what, what we see now with the girls being even portrayed even more as sex objects. So how yeah, did your previous bad. person protect you? How were well, you protected? Um, yeah, what was the, so, difference, the shift that you noticed when Jerry Jones took over? Well, we still had, we had to fight for what we, for what we had, which was we had security with us um, everywhere we went. We never uh, gave out our personal phone numbers or contact information, and we certainly never made appearances at birthday parties or private events. Um, Everything was a sanctioned event, and um, we were not put in any sort of a harmful situation. We weren't put in in, uh, places where other players were so that we could, you know, uh, many often in other NFL teams, you know, the cheerleaders and the players can come together at events. We weren't part of those. We were always kept separate. We were very guarded. There were sort of a lot of rules and regulations. Um, just to even just to be even make the team was very difficult. The processes that we had to go through just to be part of the team. But once kind we did get past that, pardon? What kind of processes, for instance? That's a when you say something well, like that, it just intrigues me. Yeah. So um, you know, we um, you know we were given um, exams on current events. On uh, we had uh, tests every week on the game of football, and uh, everyone that worked in the company, we had to know what their job was and what they what they did. We also were groomed, so we we were given public speaking courses, Dale Carnegie courses, etiquette courses. Um, we went through um, you know training on how to work uh, with the public, the general public, because we made a lot of USO tours. And um, variety, we did a lot of variety club telethons. And so because we were around so many children and, uh, you know, our weekends were given up. We, uh, once you make the team, every Saturday you are visiting nursing homes. Uh, so, you know, so that part, was part of the give back. It's not so much anymore. Uh, but it was back in our day, it really was an ambassador role. And so we were groomed from the moment we went into training camp 
until the end of, uh, of the, the summer when we hit the field. You know, I can see why I like you. <laughs> I can Was totally see why I like you, and I like the period that you come from, because mm-hmm. kids today, and I'm going to call them kids still, even sometimes when they're 25 or 30, they're still kids. They haven't been given the gifts you were given. They haven't been given the gifts I was given. The high school, actually, the junior high school that, that I in, were, were, was in was extraordinary. I had That's amazing opportunities. Great. I was a member of the Girls Athletic Association. Uh, I was the captain of the soccer team that, when we won the conference. And the year before I was captain of the soccer team, I was the last person picked for, for the baseball, the softball team. So I went from last person picked to captain of the winning team. Uh, wow. I was given experiences. I was given experiences of how do you handle something when you're losing and how do you not have to get too big ahead and become obnoxious when you're winning, especially after you've been losing. <laughs> you've been losing a lot and you start to win, you could become rude. So there's all kinds of things that we were being taught without intentionally being taught that. It was just the culture of the day. And frankly, Cindy and Randy, the culture of today horrifies me. It horrifies, I think, most of us. Um, narcissism is a huge part of today's society. Like, it's, it's rampant. But, you know, I, I love all of the courses that you were put through because that's what made you I agree, who you mean. are. Yes, someone that actually gets it, who has a rock-solid foundation, who gets it with her kids, who has in, uh, of utmost integrity. I mean, it's impressive. When I went through your your Facebook page and some of your other stuff, that you actually had all your clothes on. And I can't say that about like, 75, at least, percent of the women today. And the guys that are attracted to that are t- just as repulsive to me as the women doing it. I mean, why can we not be exceptional? We can if we give the opportunity, Randy. The thing is, the opportunities that we're given are not available unless you pull the kids out of school. What's happening well, in the school? Oh my God! What, what's happening is almost nothing, or somebody yeah, that goes off on a toot. You know, some some professor that goes off on a toot and starts being political in the school or, or forcing their opinions on people. And these school shootings that I'm not even sure there's a, that they're real, half of them. And there was another school shooting in Texas yesterday, wasn't there? And they it had was, a drill just yeah, before. In Santa Fe. They had, mm-hmm. they the had school had shooting in Texas, to uh, apologize for interrupting, but... <laughs> We're glad uh, you're there. Then, <laughs> you were oh, there. I've, been, I've been listening you know, with bated breath to the discussion about education because I don't have the same perspective that you do because I was educated in Europe. But one of the key core ingredients of the collapse in the United States and largely globally is the collapse of the family unit. The disintegration of the family unit caused by many, many factors obviously affects the relationship of the family with the school. And because of that, you know, there's been a loss of respect. And loss of respect in schools is one of the key factors. But uh, the madness of the thinking of the educators is uh, is beyond belief. I would, I would agree with that. Yeah, I would agree. And I, I, one of the things that, um, you know, that I've noticed with today's youth is that, um, that, lo- that 
lack of discipline and the lack of respect. And kids, I think all kids should participate in some sort of sporting activity. I'm, I'm actually very disappointed that, uh, that uh, physical education has been pulled out of many programs, many school programs, because, um, you know, it, it teaches teamwork, it teaches discipline, it shows um, kids um, how to, uh, you know, that you can train a, ch- a child to be coachable and, and teachable. So all of these are really key ingredients um, in society. You're always going to have to learn from someone else. You're going to learn. You're going to have to learn how to work with others. You're going to have to be respectful of, of others and of adults. And teamwork and respect is, for the coach. Absolutely. And I think what you see is many of these athletes. One of the reasons they excel um, is because um, you know is because they got it. They're in, they're participating in a program where they're. They're having to absorb it. It's part of their fabric. They're part of their makeup in their life, and they're able to move on, go on to college, and, and be more successful. And let's face it, most, uh, most kids who are um, carrying a full load of classes and participating in some sort of extracurricular activity, be it you know music or, or uh, PE, they tend to do better in school. Yeah, they totally do. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. But and usually uh, one ha- of the criteria is they've got to keep their grades up to actually be in that. Absolutely. Well, there's so a, there's a strong connection between physical activity and intellectual and neural function, and Dr. Val will confirm this. Generally, children that compete in athletics have minds that work a little better than those that don't because the athletic function, the physical activity, affects neural function. Unless and they it helps the brain. Function because they've been, they're being trained. They're being trained to um, get up and do it again if they didn't make it. They're, they're being trained to do all kinds of things. They're, they're not mm-hmm. trained to be losers. They're trained to be winners, and that's how we were being trained. And we had lots and, of and opportunities... Winning. That. I want to hear about what happened when Mr. Jones invited you on the plane. <laughs> well, um, you know, this, there, there's a movie that's out right now in going through the festivals called The Sexual Revolution, Untold Stories of the Dallas Cowboys Cheerleaders. And I'm, <laughs> one, of the, uh, I'm one of the cheerleaders that is, has, you know, been interviewed as part of this documentary. I don't really like the title, but... I, let me tell you what the story is about. The story is about um, how strict it was being part of this organization. And it actually ends, this, uh, not to be a spoiler, but it, 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 it ends with my, um, inter- you know, towards the end, my interview of me leaving the team. And um, I left the team as a veteran. Um, I was uh, booked on an appearance with uh, Jerry Jones on his private airplane uh, with another cheerleader and was told that he handpicked us, so me and another gal. And I asked my director if she could uh, cancel it. I didn't feel that it was appropriate for me to be on his private airplane in my cheerleader uniform. I mean, what, what could that possibly, you know, why, why would I need to be in uniform for that? And um, you know, she just, you know, she felt 
that, uh, you know, it, it might cost her her job. So she didn't feel that she could speak up on our behalf. So wow. I, went, I went home and I thought about it. And um, I talked to my former director, uh, bless, her, uh, bless her, she's a, she uh, passed away um, la- last year, Suzanne Mitchell. And um, I spoke to her, and uh, she gave me some good advice. She said, it's time to leave, and I want you to stand up and do what I taught you and get off that team. And so I went in. I, I took all my uniforms, and I said, I'm, I'm going to turn these in. I, I quit. And uh, they did try to ask, you know, bribe me with tours and all other things, appearances, paid appearances, and I, I, I said no. And I walked out, and I was the only cheerleader that year to, to leave the team. This was the year that all 13 of us left. We went back to the team after they said it, that they would hang on to all of the traditions and, and whatnot, but they, it didn't exactly happen that way. And so I ended up leaving uh, mid-season um, in November. And, um, you know, just I, I got to tell you, my life opened up. The moment I left that team, there was another door wide open, and it didn't hurt me a bit. That's so well, great. You know, I'm, I'm so curious because you, I, I, I'm a lot like you in many ways, I, but I wouldn't have been there without my mother. My mom, as we were talking before, Randy and I were talking for the show, she was a twin. You have triplets, Mom. Mom was a twin. And at, at 13, she was a bridge champion and living with her sister in London, and they had their own flat. Uh, and she knew how to take care of herself in the world, and uh, she taught me two things. One of them was about this bully, David Snyder. Uh, David would wait for me in a tree, jump on me, and then pull my hair out. And David, that happened like, it was not a nice thing to do. And, and it happened like three times, and I told Mom, and she said, look, she said, there are bullies all over the place in the world. You need to learn how to happen, you know, how to take care of this. If if you can't take care of it, I will talk to his mother. But my preference is you take care of it. Well, take care of a bully that jumps out of a tree and pulls my hair out? Uh, how was I going to do that? Well, I looked around. I saw that I had a pair of coveralls, you know, the bib kind, like the farmer's wear. Mm-hmm. And I sure. put on my coveralls. I put on my good shoes. And I went and stood under the um, redwood tree up by the road because David would come home from school. And... He came home, and he was coming down the driveway, and I said, David, come over here. And he came over, and I I punched him right in the nose, and I said, don't ever pull my hair out again. And then we wrestled, and then we became best friends. It was actually a <laughs> way he communicated attraction. But I went home, and I go, I, I was crying with joy about what my mother had caused me to do, because she did. She was right there, and she... She created that for me. And then later on in, in the world, when I was like 17 or 18, I was going out with Dave Davis, who was going to the Olympics, and he was a discus thrower, and the guy was the size of the Hulk. And Mom said, when you're, when you're going out, there's a key thing that you need to remember. If things get out of hand, a good knee in the right place always does wonders. And right. that evening, I needed my knee. And what I got, and what I got out of both of these things, which Paul addressed earlier, was I got respect. And what's missing for us as women today is self-respect. And what's missing are the structures to give men and women self-respect. And Bravo. Each other, and yes. the strength of the family. Our families were incredibly strong. 
we actually, in those days, Paul, we actually had party lines. Do you, know, you guys know what a party line is? Explain it, because I guarantee uh, most of party them. line is like a, a teleconference uh, by telephone. What happens is that all the phone lines are connected when the phones first came out, so you pick up the phone, but the community had a phone line. So maybe Mabel would be on the phone talking to Henrietta or George would be discussing something. And in my case, we lived in Sulphur Springs, so the guys would get together and go take care of the, the pipelines. Oh, and there would be conversations. And you'd go, oh, hi, Mary, you're on. How long are you going to be on? And Mary would say, oh, well, I'll be done in five minutes. So great, and come back in five minutes, and we'd use the party line. And by the way, that's my inspiration for waking up in America mm-hmm. is the party line. Oh. We're on a party line right now. And you never knew who was going to show up when you'd say hi. And this is also the age in which television came in. And uh, television came into our cute, uh, community city. It was really funny. And, uh, Randy, we there was, like, Timmy O'Toole, which is a cartoonist. That was one of the shows. <laughs> there were, like, two shows on television. Mm-hmm. And then uh, what you'd do is you'd watch television. And then after the shows were over... Oh, and the GE Elect- or General Electric Theater with Ronald Reagan. That was on, too. I loved it. Uh, they actually did live theater on television. <clears throat> and we'd, you'd, you'd sit there, and then we'd be, there was one television, and we'd come together in the community, and we got to watch television over at this lady's house. Well, she had to kick us out, and part of the, what we were watching sometimes was the Indian pattern on the TV screen, because we thought it was so amazing. So, and every every day the TV went off, uh, they started getting more shows on, but it'd go off at midnight, and it'd have the Star Spangled Banner on it, and then the Indian would go up on the screen. So, the times were simpler in a way. We had less infusion and more experience, and what's happening is, when you watch those kids go around, what do you see when you see kids going around with their cell phones? Well, it's out of control, obviously. Like, I mean, in today's age, I'm good with the kids having them, but the driving is always an issue. There isn't a red light that I hit, and everyone on this call can probably agree, where you just sit there because whoever's in the front of the line is not driving because they're sitting on their phone. And I literally, I was in the car with two of my sons just in the last 24 hours, and they were looking at all of the people as as I was passing them, they're like, on the phone, on the phone, on the phone. They literally were counting. Nobody's driving anymore. I, and they drilled it into me because I used to text while I drive. I'm, I'm not guilt-free here, but I no longer do it. And, you know, now my kids actually, you know, count everybody else. So it's it's a little bit out of control. Well, to there's our listeners, there's an addiction. You go onto the yeah. Internet. Yes. Find out what those cell phones are doing to your children's brains, okay? And that's part of what's going on here, that you can actually see the brain heating up on these electromagnetic spectrum things that they analyze with. Um, And you can see the brain getting hot and all kinds of stuff. This is, uh, we we were talking earlier about how we got dumbed down and out. Uh, GMOs, cell phones. Uh, removal of physical education, all this stuff that's, that's been happening, and it's been happening through, i I got to say that it seems to me like the primary factor is sex and greed. I don't know. Could be. Cindy, what's your thought? Um, I, you know, I don't know, but I do know that once, you know, as we become more, more of a social society that... Um, 
you know, we were talking about the breakdown of the American family, but, you know, it really is the breakdown of us being able to socialize as a community. And because I, I'm going to give you a story. My, my uh, daughter wanted a birthday party. We gave her a birthday party. We had a beautiful limousine pick up her and her 16 friends. And when we wow. opened the door, not one of them were talking to the other. And I said, why I aren't you guys talking to each other? And they were all looking down on their cell phones, and they said, we are talking to each other. So what they were doing was texting each other instead of conversing. So they would be texting while they're sitting next to each other. It's the That's strangest what I was thing talking I've about. ever seen. Yeah, it's the that, strangest thing ever. That was, that was what got me going. Or you, you watch a, a thing, and you'll see people walking down the street, and they, they're they're texting on their cell phones as they walk down the street and they just walk past the Mona Lisa, you know? It's it's yeah, that yeah. kind of... Uh, we're not even... We're trained to not even be in contact with our environment. And, and you know, when you talked about athletics and stuff earlier, and you mentioned it too, Paul, uh, it, it brings you into a context. And by the way, I, I think probably the worst movie in the world would be watching some kind of runner texting. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't. You don't have somebody that's running or pole vaulting or something like that texting. They're in touch with the moment, and I think that's the big thing: is that we're not in the moment anymore. Yeah, they, I think well, what we're seeing though is definitely um, you know the inability to communicate and to be personal. You know, we're you know everything now seems to be by text and um, you know by email that we that. As a society, we have not been able to pass down to our youth that a personal phone call, a personal thank you, a handwritten note, um, that these things are, are um, still very, very important. And, um, you know, right now with the kids, I mean, communicating, you know, only by text, not taking phone calls. And I have, I have three teenagers and a daughter in college, and they don't like to talk on the phone. All they do is text. So uh-huh. it's it is a it is an, a very strange phenomenon that we're seeing with. Okay, with so we're 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 all we have we have right here. We have four, four adults with really good memories. <laughs> how do we bring this back in? How, how do we bring it forward? You tell your friends. Don't text me unless it's critical. Unless you can't reach me by phone for whatever reason, don't text me. Call me. Tell all well, your you friends. Well, you know, the, interestingly enough, here I am at 77, Paul, and for the first time I can, I'm really getting a lot accomplished because I'm texting for probably the first time in the last year of my life mostly Um, because what I want to do is I do want to text certain things. I want to text telephone numbers, calling numbers. I want to text vital information so I've got it in my pocket as a backup for my memory Uh, and I want to be able to talk to you in person. But I also want to be able, I don't want to spend my time talking to you in person. I love, Randy and I have some fun conversations on Fridays. Uh, we had another one last night. But we also text each other. And one of Randy's cutest texts on the entire planet, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> is um, Randy's a mouse. <laughs> and he says, well, mouse. My guess is the texts are mercifully short. 
Yeah, yeah, we don't yes. do a lot with blog stuff, but it was like with with Cindy, I wanted to text her the the telephone numbers for the call in and stuff, and not be confused and stuff like that. So I do that. So I feel like I I'm happy with where I am as far as cell phones are concerned and stuff, and I probably use a cell phone totally less than an hour in a day. Okay, but I'll use it to say, um, are you available? You all send a text. Are you available? There's all kinds of ways we can integrate this. The point being is that we're not locked in to to what's happening here. So um, I say that the, the title of this program was to stand up now. And for all of the women in the world who have been afraid to stand up, uh, Cindy did it. Look what happened. Uh, I did it. Look what happened. Randy's done it. Look what happened. Lots of all time. three of us yes. are stand-up women. <laughs> yeah. Randy, don't take yep. no crap. Okay. No, none. <laughs> Not at all. Sudden. By and the way, Val, can can you finish your sentence? Because you said Randy is a mouse, so I don't want the audience to be like. Yeah, I don't want to leave you as a, as a little mouse. <laughs> Randy sent me this text. Uh, after something that I'd said, and it was this little mouse with these huge ears, and it goes, "I'm listening." <laughs> and it was Donald Trump's speech, his his uh, inauguration speech or something. I forget which one, but or or the speech to the nation. And it was just me in covers. It, it really wasn't me. It was just a picture of this adorable mouse with humongous the ears. Adorable mouse with my all ears. And uh, I, I have to tell you, President Trump. Uh, uh, God bless you, sir. And um, we're we're all praying for you to totally upgrade your conversation on women. And I love I love what you're doing with the country. So I want you to know that. And I believe your conversations on women are upgrading. So, I uh, yeah. So we want you to know that. We want you to know that we think you're a good businessman, and we're, we've needed one for a really long time. And the fact, dear Mr. Trump, dear President, that you're not a politician, you haven't had the training that Cindy and Randy and I have had, uh, but you're getting it now for sure. And thank you. And I heard just last night, Randy, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. that President Trump has given the okay for this to happen, uh, the global currency reset, which we've been waiting years and years and years and years and years for, uh, actually should be coming down in the next month or so. And that's going to cause uh, an incredible global shift. And I know people go, I know, Val, you told me about this in 2010. Yeah, I did. But now you got a glimpse of my personality. <laughs> it's 2018, and I never stopped believing in this because I'm intelligent. And I was well-trained, and I can see what's needed to create balance in the world. And as uh, President Trump said on more than one occasion, we need to create a level playing field. So if we've got sexism going on, if we've got people feeding our children, I get into a whole topic on what our kids have been fed in school cafeterias, uh, things of that nature, there's going to be huge infusions of money into this country. And what I'm asking each of you to do, I, I know what Cindy will do. Some of I'm giving her one of the Zimbabwe notes. I just love her. She hasn't heard of it. She doesn't have to hear about it. I'll tell her when the note is good. Uh, but she'll have the money to put a lot of what she wants to put into action. Paul will, too. I know Paul thinks, you know, mm-hmm, this isn't going to happen. Well, Paul, I'll smile <laughs> oh, when it does. And I won't hold it against you because I know you'll use the money well. Uh I've picked different things in the community, actually, that I'm going to support. And I'm not just after physical education, Cindy. I'm after music and art being back in the schools, too. 
Absolutely. I, mean, what the, I would agree. What they're being given called an education, it seems to me is, would be more appropriately called a brainwashing. And if we can create teams of people with memories uh, of, of, of what was and start to stand up for the schools in our area, hopefully there will be enough people. Um, I've got personal issues that I want to take care of with the money. Uh, one of them is I want to contribute to getting rid of that massive plastic in the ocean that's the size of Texas. And there's ways of doing that. I'm taking care of, um, I've already got a list made. I'm, take, I'm building a bridge across a freeway to take care of the mountain lions because they don't have enough area to roam in. Um, I'm going to make sure that the local schools have uh, education in music and physical education and also cooking and um, cabinet making and the things like that that we got to do. We actually created craftsmen and women in our school system in Santa Monica, which was one of the best in the nation. I don't know where it is now, but we, we as the elders, we are the elders. We as the elders have to be responsible for making sure that this thing that we're doing is given, is given forward. That what we that you call for respect that Cindy gets to do is speaking to her, but this time she's teaching him how to do karate. If I get really, <laughs> that's good. I actually did a workshop with Cindy, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, called Stand Up, and I did it in the 1970s, and I taught women how to break boards with their hands. You know, like the karate oh. chop. Sure. I had I had 25 women walking out of that room like King Kong. They all knew how to split a board. And then I, I showed them how to break watermelons. Do you know how to do that? I've never done karate or, or any form of uh, martial arts. That's incredible. And neither. I had, I, had, I, had, I had had a 10-minute lesson before I did the workshop on it. And then I was invited to be on TV, and they said, how long have you been doing karate? You're really impressive. And I said, oh, about mm, a month. Yeah, it took wild. took me less than an hour to learn how to break a board or how to crack a watermelon with my hand. Okay, the side of my hand, uh, and you don't get damaged in that. With a, <clears throat> what you do is, if you want to break a watermelon, you you take your hand like your uh, like it's a knife and you smack it down on the melon, but you don't think of the melon at the top of the melon, you actually think of hitting the table underneath the melon. When you do that, you can crack open watermelons like you wouldn't believe it. And you can try it, and then you can make, you know, salad out of it afterwards or something if you want to, or have a big watermelon fest. But the same thing happens with a pine board. You don't hit the pine board against the grain. What you do is you put the pine board on a, a, uh, two bricks, and it could be, you know, like maybe six inches wide, you put it between two bricks with your hand and the grain of the wood going in the same direction, and you do the same thing you were doing with the watermelon, and you go through, you aim for the table under the um, pine board, and they'll just crack like King Kong. It's wonderful. Uh, you can try it yourself. Don't call me if you didn't do it right, because you could break your hand if you go against the grain or something like that. But the point being that the things that you think are so hard aren't necessarily hard, but they're the things that give you confidence if you own them. And Cindy owned her confidence on that plane. And not only did you own your confidence, Cindy, which it's very emotionally touching to me, you had your community behind you. Yes. You didn't just, you didn't you. just do that. It was You were the leader of that. 
And that was yeah, the beginning of, of greatness. So what all are you doing since? Oh, wow. You know, I, I got to tell you, you know, like I said, it, it really was the beginning of everything else that fell in, into place. You know, I wrote a book called The Cheerleader's Guide to Life. And, um, and that was all the training that I had received as a cheerleader put into a book. And, um, you know, and I, what I did was I outlined how all of these things will um, help one to become a success in life. And, um, and so, you know, so I, I, I wrote this book. But what I'm doing now is um, I am a producer, an executive producer of various contents. I'm working on film, feature film, digital, and, um, and television. And I still own the Cheer Channel Television Network. But, um, but I'm, I'm working on a, uh, on a couple of feature films right now as well. So channel? I, I truly love it. Mm-hmm. You have the Cheer Channel? Cheer Channel, mm-hmm. What is it? Um, the Cheer Channel is um, what is a an OTT television network that was started back in 2009. Um, we're we're actually uh, we pulled it off um, off the network um, so that we can um, rebrand it for the coming season. Uh, but we have a lot of great content coming. A lot of new shows. Um, one of our one of our most successful shows is called uh, Secret Diary of an American Cheerleader, and mm-hmm. uh, we have, yeah, it's, and it's, you know, the, the content that we air on the Cheer Channel Network is um, all G-rated. I, I like to call it G-rated content because it's positive programming, and it all has a lesson behind it. So um, every show has sort of a hidden message that goes with it. Um, sometimes it's bullying. Sometimes it's about careful with social media that there's prowlers out in the world, but it's it's going to be there as part of the underlying story, and um, and that's Secret Diary um, for sure. That that particular series always has a life lesson attached to it. Terrific. We like to help you with that somehow. I'm not sure, but I know that it would be right. We've been on radio a lot. We know a ton of great people. So um, awesome. Love that. You You know, I was I was a varsity cheerleader in high school, and you never told me that. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And that's great. Get the pom poms. Get the pom poms. <laughs> we did it. Um, I did it for two years, and we were in every single sport. We cheered for everything, even which was our least favorite. I have to say, just because it was kind of like not exciting. Even girls basketball, which you know, I feel bad even saying that, but you know, I am a female, and I did like cheering for the guys. So you know, that's why I got into it. I didn't get into it to cheer for the women, but we did have to cheer for the females, and it was so disciplined. And it kept our grades up. If we went down, they knew it in a heartbeat. Everybody was to report in. The teachers reported into um, the staff that was in charge of us. And there was a lot of travel and doing school on the buses. We were interacting with the students because a lot of times they would have us on the same buses. Not football because that was so big. But um, it was some of the best times of my life. And oh, that's the discipline. Terrific. Yeah, well, I what I want to tell you guys is, first of all, we're, we're nearing the end of the program, and I've been sitting here because I didn't want to stop the conversation. I was so fascinated with it. Uh, what I've asked Paul to do, however, is to uh, give a special report on what's going on in Hawaii and on, on the volcanoes yes. and the eruptions. So I want to make sure that we, uh, we have time for that. So <laughs> take the next um, three minutes 
and he's going to talk to us about that, and then we'll um, all have our wrap-up conversation because Michael say two minutes, and then you'll have a sentence <laughs> at the end to wrap everything up, Cindy, and we'll make sure people know how to get a hold of you and things of that nature. And, uh, Paul, would you... We had such an interesting conversation on the eruptions and what's going on in Hawaii um, yesterday. Can you share that in three minutes? Well, uh, I certainly can. Actually, by coincidence, I received a, a call from Hawaii, um, I'd say about you know, six or seven hours ago. They're three hours behind us. But I have a very, very good young friend uh, who just graduated from the uh, University of Hawaii, and uh, he's coming back, and uh, I was quite concerned about uh, his situation because he's about six miles from the volcano. So uh, I got first-hand information uh, rather than relying on information from just the media. The, the media coverage uh, of the volcano has been abysmal very, very little coverage. If you turn on the news, you don't hear very much about it, except the fact that, well, it may blow. Uh, it actually blew, and uh, the ash cloud uh, has now risen to about 35,000 feet. And you were talking also about what happens to airplanes. Well, that's it. Uh, you can't fly in the vicinity of the ash cloud because the particles because ashes, particulate matter, and gases, the particles get ingested into the uh, engine and uh, they, can, they can stop the engine. So you have to steer clear uh, of uh, the ash cloud. The FAA is very specific about regulations uh, associated with uh, ash clouds. So uh, flights haven't been canceled, but uh, they've been rerouted and flight paths have been changed. The, the big problem is the uh, request uh, on the part of civil defense and uh, the uh, National Guard for evacuation of certain neighborhoods without legitimate reason for the evacuation other than uh, hysteria from the government. The consequence of that has been that a lot of the homeowners do not want to evacuate because there's been a tremendous explosion, bad, bad now, but an explosion of looting. Yeah, I get it. So uh, homeowners uh, would rather stay in their houses until the very last minute. So they're told to evacuate, but they can't evacuate because the fellow down the street lost everything he had to looters, uh, as, as a quick example. And that was confirmed by, uh, by my friend uh, uh, Carl, uh, uh, who's actually coming back stateside in about a month. But... Uh, the uh, the whole issue of uh, volcanic eruptions um, is really a function of the type of volcano and the the location of the uh, cities or the homes that uh, are endangered. There's absolutely no comparison between uh, Pompeii uh, and the situation in Hawaii. Yeah, I had uh, asked all about Pompeii, and he said it was a different kind of um, situation. Would you give him the details on that? Um, sure. Um, the, the eruption in Pompeii, Vesuvius, 
uh, is a volcano that has approximately a 20-year cycle. Every 20 years, uh, it uh, it explodes. Two but, minutes. Um, oh, we're at two minutes. I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to have the explosion continue next week. Uh, Paul, one sentence. <laughs> it took 25 hours to uh, bury Pompeii. Oh, God. oh my gosh! That's oh, Randy, one sentence to wrap it up. Just thank you to to Cindy for being on, and Paul, and you, Val, of course. Mike in the background. What a great show! Love all you guys. Super show. And Cindy, I want you to come back because I don't feel like we got. I, I, I feel so we either. we just Let's got a toehold in this. <laughs> uh, what is your last sentence for the show today? Uh, I just want to thank you guys so much for having me as your guest. And if anybody wants to follow me, uh, my name is Cindy Villarreal, B-I-L-L-A-R-R-E-A-L. It's spelled with a V. One minute. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and um, Twitter. Excellent. My last sentence is to all of you people in Hawaii or anybody else who's got a lot of contamination in the air going on, go over to theconingcompany.com, the biggest... uh, resurgence we had in uh, was uh, was in a situation similar to this that uh, that dust is getting you so this program has been brought to you by Kirkgard Intergalactic Media and our radio partners cloningcompany.com happily200.com heaveningcorporated.com Anna Von Wright Dr. James Murphy John Denver Dr. Joel Wallach Sheriff uh, Richard Mack Tippy Hedder and Carol Chatting Cash Carol Deepak Chopra Wolfgang Holbig uh, William P. Dunn, Ed Asner, Dennis Weaver, Larry Hagman, and Esther Williams, Admiral Eugene, Carol, Jane Goodall, Jonathan Gradoff, Dennis Kucinich, Chris Bergard, Paul the Plumber, Terry Cole Whitaker, Sherry St. Vincent, Lonnie Hogan Miller, Sherry Sharifi Brown, Roger Stone, David R., Descendant of King David, um, Edward F. Group III, The Body Can, uh, Shalene Nightingale, DrBowery.com, and Doctors All Spelled Out. Thanks to Paul C. Bragg for leaving us, your daughter Patricia, to continue your work. A big thanks to our team at Voice America. Uh, Jess Bernard, our producer, Ryan Treasure, Randy Jackman, our friends at Cumulus Radio. Mike Vitale, Mike Vitale. You got it. Uh, Mary Flynn and Ron Simon and our uh, research director, Ron Hayes, to John Young at Totally Gossible. Big thanks. And you're not crazy anymore. Thank you for joining us today for Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard. Waking Up in America can be heard live every Wednesday on voiceamerica.com and Valerie welcomes all emails at heaveningcorporated.com. This is for all you knew, pouring through, now your heart is open.